Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of LDN, London Digital Mattering. In this episode, I'm joined by Duncan Drury, and we go slightly beyond our mission to talk digital in the UK and Europe, and this time, we look outwards towards the rest of the world. Duncan and I met in our first week at university in London. He was studying anthropology, being inspired to do so by a life-changing school exchange where he spent a month in Tanzania. Both Duncan and I wound up getting caught up in the dot-com boom, and both our careers took us into technology. Duncan's journey took him back to Tanzania, where he helped set up an internet cafe, later moving back to London to work for Christian Aid as its head of global infrastructure and connectivity. He now works for NetHope, where he supports their efforts to further deliver connectivity around the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do recommend us to a friend. As usual, you'll find show notes on www.ldnpodcast.com. You can follow us or say hi on Twitter at LDN Podcast. And please do leave a review wherever you found this podcast. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Duncan Drury. Hello, Dunk. Hey, Karen. How are you doing? Good. 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 Thanks for coming into the studio here, such as it is. It's it's an amazing space. Yeah. Soundproof box. <laughs> a little bit like a shop window. I think I need to work a little bit more on the acoustic dampening because sometimes it gets a little bit, I don't know, yeah, echoey. It's, it's a padded cell. It's, it's with, kind of with two glass windows. If, yeah. if you get really upset, you can just smash your head through a glass window. <laughs> but before we jump into this, I guess it'd be nice to introduce you to everybody. So uh, you currently do what? So I, 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 I work for an organization called NetHope amongst a couple of other things, but that's probably the thing that I uh, sort of gravitate to the most and, 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 and get a lot out of. Uh, and NetHope's uh, an organization that helps um, international NGOs to use technology better to meet their, their goals. More effectively. Sweet. Sweet. Um, yeah. And so technology. So how did you get into technology? So I think well, probably like a lot of people of, of, of our generation, it, it, it all started with, um, with, with, with dad probably mm. bringing computer home for some, some purpose that was really important, but really it was just so that they could play games and so that their kids <laughs> could play games. So yeah, at some point my uh, my my dad brought a, a BBC oh, wow. computer home, um, you know, and it was about writing a book, which he did actually write a book on it. Um, on the oh, he wrote a book on the BBC or yeah, about yeah, the BBC? no, that was his word processor was ah, the, was the BBC. Blimey. But you know, pretty soon I think many hours were spent playing games like Elite and uh, yeah, <laughs> um, Frack. <laughs> Frack. I don't even remember that one. I think that was probably BBC only. We, what, what, what computer did you have? Uh, I had a, an Acorn Electron, so okay. it, was, it was like the baby yeah. brother of the BBC. That was, that was kind of. I think. I think you could run the, some of the same software on there, yeah. but the BBC had like 32k of RAM, and the Electron had like eight. I think something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys got Elite. We didn't. And Chucky Egg. Chucky Egg. Chucky Egg. It's a classic. I talk to my children about that now. They just look at me like, shut up, crazy old man. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, you're interrupting my fortnight. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know they're born. 
They don't know they're born. So I'm going to get a Speccy um, on eBay because mm -hmm. later I got a Speccy, uh, maybe an Amiga. Right. And then I'm going to set it up with my boys when they're old enough to appreciate tape decks and like the fact that you loaded computer games off tape decks. That's all for you, really. Come on. It's for me. Yeah. It's for you. <laughs> have, have you seen the, 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 the Raspberry Pi and the BBC micro bit? Not the micro bit. The micro no. bit's like tiny. It's really, really interesting. Ah. Um, it's more of a sort of a sensor. It has LEDs and you can turn it into like a programmable badge and stuff. But it's like ah. super cheap and you can do lots of things with it. Um, I'm really interested in figuring out how I can get it into my work somehow. I'm, I'm sure there's a way. I haven't figured it out yet. But Amazing. There's some, some cool, there's some cool stuff out there. Um, but that's a digression, really. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm so, I'm going to check that out because I have a pie and I need to make it work for me. So, um, so how did you get? So that was technology, just having a BBC. But how how did it go? What was your journey onwards from there? How did you get into this game? So I, I think you know. So obviously, I, I, at a young age, I quite got into to computers um, a little bit, um, and then. When I was probably about, I don't know, 15 or 16, one of my friends suggested to me that I put myself forward for, for this exchange program between my school in, in Brampton in Cumbria with a school in, in, in Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. Um, and I thought, yeah, sure, yeah, that, that, that might be a bit of a laugh. Um, and then got more involved in that and there were, there were a bunch of, uh, of school kids from Tanzania came over to Brampton in 1990 and, and I was part of the group that was um, you know showing them round Carlisle <laughs> and, uh, and, and the Lake District um, and you know that really fascinated me I made some some great friends through that and and, and just got to see that the, the world was a bit wasn't all just what it's like in in Cumbria <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, and then in in 91 I had the opportunity to go with my school um, to to Tanzania which which really blew my mind you know that was um, it, it was it was it was so different to the UK um, you know the the, the the sort of the smells and and, and, and the, the, the color of the soil and and and, and, and and just being on this enormous continent when you know the UK is so small mm. I remember arriving there and feeling like the gravity of of, of the place felt different somehow yeah um, which I don't know. It was. It was. It was. That was a life-changing experience. Really, I, I, I was really lucky that some some teachers at my school um, thought this would be a, a good thing to do. And and you know, I think I think it changed quite a few of my friends' lives massively, but definitely had a, a huge impact on me. Um, and I kind of forgot about computers, mm. and 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 kind of got bitten by the, the sort of let's see the world bug, which I, I guess a lot of people do when they're sort of at that, that stage of their life. Um, and so I, I, when I went to university, I went to, to, to check out anthropology. I did the, a degree in, in, in anthropology at UCL where I met you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess whilst I was there, I also, this was like 1994 when I started university and the internet was kind of wakening up mm. um, and being a, 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 a you know, a, a university in London 
suddenly had access to this thing that it, was the internet. It was mind-blowing. Wasn't that amazing? I mean, I, I just remember, you know, starting and somebody gave me an email address it's like what's an email address mm, what's an email what's, what's email what's the and web like and being able to so I, I i was quite into writing letters to my friends oh via email no but oh, like before that i'd written loads of letters when i did traveling i really got into writing letters and and the email was like this free way of doing it so i kind of got into that and so yeah i kind of i kind of got into back into technology Probably because of the internet, and probably also because I had to like write essays and stuff on, and turn them in on a computer. My handwriting was atrocious. So. Mm. Um, and then, like a lot of people, I came out of an anthropology degree, not really sure what I was going to do with it. <laughs> and uh, the, 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 the IT seemed like a useful thing to uh, put put food on the table, um, and, and you know, pay for trips to the pub. Yeah, um, I, I was. I remember that time actually, and I, I thought it was awesome. You were actually, you seemed to be out doing real stuff, and I was still doing my masters. Really, and I was like, oh, I was so man, jealous. He's so grown up. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that's funny. Those early jobs. I yeah. don't really remember what it was that I did at them. Um, anyway, so yeah, so so I did um, a, a few jobs, and then the travel bug bit me again, and. Um, I headed back out to, to Tanzania um, in 2003, ostensibly to uh, to set up a internet cafe with uh, a, a friend of mine in, in Tanzania that, that decided she was going to do this, a Tanzanian friend. Um, and I had all these ideas about going out there and sort of, you know, doing a really good job of it because I, you know, I had all this experience in the UK so yeah. and the people in Tanzania wouldn't, wouldn't know what hit them. <laughs> which was really funny. You know, as an anthropologist, I should have really known better than thinking that, you know, somebody from 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 you know, the global north has 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 a better idea about what needs to be done in the global south than people that live there all the time do. So so what was what was it that you so you went out to set out the cafe, um but so, so what yeah. was it that you actually did? So so yeah, we did we set up the cafe and it, it, it you know, I thought, yeah, we we're going to set up the cafe in Arusha in Tanzania. Mm. And, of course, we set up one of, I don't know, about 20 internet oh, the, cafes. There the, were, like, loads of internet cafes out there. Ah, right, so we yeah. set it up. Massive you know, competition. It was, it was, it was, yeah, there was massive competition. It wasn't, I mean, I'd, I'm sure some survived, but it wasn't, I mean, and, and our cafe did fine. Um, you know, we, we, we did a fairly good job of it. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't going to light, light the world on fire. Um, but I did whilst living out there. I, I found a job working for an organisation called TechnoServe, um, who were an international uh, development organisation that were focused on not, not technology, as it sort of sounds from the name, mm. but they were um, what what they do is 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 introduce business process practices that are really well um, understood and developed in the West and help people in, uh, in sort of rural economies, business people in rural economies apply those same principles um, and not, not get too screwed over by the people that are you know, in the rich parts of the world. Ah, so, so yeah, quite an, interesting, quite an interesting charity, but yeah, so, so, that, that, 
so got to know some people that worked there and found that they had a need for somebody to help them out with internet connections and, and networking and servers and things in, 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 in a few of their offices in, in, in Kenya and Tanzania. Um, and, you know, I knew how to do that. Just, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd gained the experience. And um, uh, so, so yeah, I, I, had a, I, I got a job and um, it enabled us to stay out in Tanzania for, for, for a lot longer than we would have done a, 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 <laughs> with, with anything that we might have made from an internet cafe. So, so is the cafe still going? That's a really good question. I I I I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because you don't. I don't really see so many now around here because it's so ubiquitous. Uh, I think we'll talk about this a little bit later. Just the availability. Yeah. That, so, I, I mean, I but think, out there, how how what is the cafe scene like? Well, so when we lived out there, it was in two thousand and three, two thousand and four, and my friends that lived on Kilimanjaro when I went to visit them, they didn't have the internet. They, they, if they wanted the internet, they had to spend an hour on the bus to get into town and then go to an internet cafe. Now you can Skype them on their mobile phone, same as, as you might ah, do here. Okay. They, they've got 3G connections. Our internet cafe was in Arusha, which is an urban area. Um, I, I, I think that a lot of people have mobile phones and 3G uh, access. Um, and tablets and wireless in their homes. So, it, it, yeah, there's probably less need for them. But if you go to certain parts of London, you'll still find internet cafes. True. Yeah, I was in an, actually went into an internet cafe in uh, in Bow today to, uh, to to get something done to my mobile phone. Oh, to have it fixed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ah, interesting. Um, so they're still they're still a resource that people use, but, but yeah, they don't look very busy whenever you walk past them these days. Yeah. It might be the same in Tanzania. So, so at some point the 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 dream ended. You left. Uh, yeah, we decided to come back to to to, to the UK for a variety of reasons, um, and I. But, but you know that 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 was my break. Really, was working at TechnoServe and doing mm. doing what I did um, for them. Um, I think that that equipped me to get a job at, at you know the ne- the next. NGO that I worked for, Christian Aid. Yeah, so you started with them, what, 2005, 2006? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I, I worked with them for, for 11 years, which is, I, I, never, I never expected to be working for a single entity for 11 years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they changed and I changed during that time. So I, I, remember, when, I remember when that happened and, and I remember at uni you spent a lot of time same as I did on news groups <laughs> and uh, or Usenet news groups, arguing with people like on Talk Origins and other oh, things. Oh yeah, Talk and, Origins was great. Yeah, yeah. I, had, I had a lot of fun on there, baiting people both sides of the uh, <laughs> both sides. I, I think I might have been what's now called a troll, um, <laughs> although I didn't feel like I was deliberately baiting people. But sometimes people just say stupid stuff, and you just feel like poking on fun the at them, don't internet. You? People say stupid stuff. Incredible. Yeah. Nothing changes, huh? Not really. No. So uh, and then so going from an anthropology degree and talking about evolution and stuff onto Christian aid. So how was that sort of culturally? Was that? Yeah. So, I, you know, the job came up and it was a great fit. It was like the international IT officer, uh, uh, you know, looking after internet and 
and, and networking and, and you know laptops and stuff you know across 30 different countries you know that was really exciting sort of dream job but I was a little bit worried about the Christian side because I'm not Christian <laughs> um, and I think kind of uh, you know what I, I was sitting there waiting for my interview and there was a magazine about Christian AIDS magazine that they send out to their supporters and on the back page there was an article about what it's like to work at Christian Aid if you're not Christian. Oh. Um, and so I read that whilst I was sitting in my interview. A which sign from kind God. Of probably, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it answered that probably the most awkward question that I knew I would have to ask in the interview, but then I didn't have to ask in the interview. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, because it just wasn't an issue. It wasn't, it wasn't really an issue. Um, and, and, and funnily enough, I mean, I didn't know this whilst I was in the interview, but the guy that would be my boss also was, he, he actually would describe himself as a Wiccan, <laughs> which, although he didn't look like he was into heavy metal. Um, oh, is that what Wiccans are into? Wiccan. I, I think so. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know either. That's just a terrible stereotype. I think I saw, I saw a Wiccan once on Silbury Hill in Wiltshire. Really? Yeah, like meditating because it's some kind of burial site. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, don't know. When, when somebody says Wiccan, I you know, picture in my head of somebody who looks like Rob Zombie. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Anyway, so, so yeah, you so were there. Christian aid. So, yeah, the, the Christian aspect of it, I mean, it's probably the <laughs> most secular of the, uh, the, 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 the the Christian development organisations, I think. Okay. So emphasis on the aid rather than the Christian, and yeah. So well, so Christian principles. I, th- I think we can all sign up up to. Yeah. Um, and 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 also a sort of radical um, goal of ending poverty. Yeah. What's not like? What's not to like? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'll take some of that. So, so how was that? Thirty different offices globally. And having to manage their whole infrastructure, basically, right? So, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, I, there was, I was part of a team, mm. um, and some some really good decisions had been made early on about, about you know, s- centralising that infrastructure. Um, at the time, it was it was in the, in the headquarters, and the data centre was in the headquarters, um, which meant that, really, it was... The focus at Christian Aid and its its um, its field offices um, or country offices, as they say, termed, mm-hmm. it, um, was really about getting internet connectivity into those offices and then providing the uh, the distribution of that internet connection to computers and then making sure that the computers worked. Plus, you know, all the printers and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, like that that was that was good. Um, that that decision had been made because uh, it allowed me to focus on 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 those challenges around around getting the the internet connection, supporting the you know the requirements, getting back to the data center. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, thirty countries all around the world, um, you know, both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, Africa, Latin America, and Asia as well. Um, so yeah, some some big cultural differences. Um, I, I worked with a team that, that sort of grew while I was there. Um, that, that some of whom were based out in the in 
in those countries. So the chap in, in Colombia, mm. Jose Carlos, um, Tangi working in Burkina Faso in West Africa, um, Martin Mbalu um, working in, in Nairobi in Kenya, and Sanjay working in, in Delhi in India. So, yeah, yeah I mean, and, I mean, we all work together really just to try and solve these these problems, which is slightly different in in each each region. So you had a set. Basically, you had a central a central function, but you had devolved um, sort of decision making. Is that how it works? So as as an organisation, when I came into Christian Aid, they were going through that process. So I, th- I think historically it had been very much sort of command and control from headquarters, from the yeah, you know, from the imperial centre. <laughs> <laughs> um, even though I don't think anybody would have liked to have thought of it as that, it's just but natural, they were going right? through a process of devolving out. They wanted to move shift power from from the centre out to the locations where actually that's. That's where Christian Aid wants to do its good work, where where it wants to deliver change, um, and you know, people that live every day in in the UK are not going to make the most appropriate decisions for what's what's need what needs to be done in the uh, you know in in in, in Kenya or, or or in Ethiopia or you know uh, Colombia or wherever. Yeah. So yeah, so so I, I I came in with that, and there there, there was some there was some interesting challenges. I, I was you know that it 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 definitely um, ticked my uh, my 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 travel bug. Um, I got to go, I got to visit quite a few of these countries and 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 really see what 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 the challenges were. And in 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 quite a lot of places you know I was able to make a difference where I could see what that was and that's always uh, a very fulfilling thing in, in, in work as well 100% so so 30 off 30 what were they called field offices no well, country offices country so field offices. offices was a political political oh. no, yeah <laughs> I think I think we should talk about some of the political yeah. stuff in a bit as well um, it's kind of interesting so and how many did you get to see uh, I think I visited about fifteen of them, um, mostly in Africa, um, but yeah, I, I I did get to go to 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 a good a good number of countries that I don't think I'd ever visited. Democratic Republic of Congo. Wow. Um, you know, off of my own uh, initiative, um, and I got to to visit Zimbabwe during the. The height of the hyperinflation, which was which was kind of interesting. If you bought if you bought your breakfast in the wrong way, then your your expenses bill might be in the thousands <laughs> of pounds. And if you bought it in the right way, it might have been in the pennies. <laughs> uh, so, what's the right way to do that? Well, what was the right way? I to, I couldn't put it on my hotel bill. Ah, I had right. to pay for it up front. If I paid for it up front, then it was good. If I paid for it through the hotel bill, then it had to be paid at the official exchange rate, which was insanely low um, compared to the actual exchange rate. Yeah, it was an interesting time in Zimbabwe. So that means your breakfasts were cheap, but your room rate was ridiculous. I think the room rate was just paid straight out in dollars. I don't, I don't ah, think okay. it was converted. Okay. It, yeah, it was funny. It was funny. I tell you what, if 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 you ever if you ever want to. Um, 
if, if you ever want to take control over a country, if you have a prime minister, um, throwing a country into uh, hyperinflation is a great way of distracting people from everything else. And you can get anything you want done whilst everybody's just worrying about how they can exchange their money for hard currency. Amazing. So well, I'm, we might even experience that this year here in the UK. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 Take, yeah, get paid in euros. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, wow, well, that, that's that's faci- a fascinating time to be out. I, I was out in um, I was out in Berlin when the euro was introduced. Mm-hmm. And that was a bit mind blowing because we, one day we're paying in Deutschmarks and then the next day we're paying in euro. And the waitress at this cafe we were having a New Year's Day breakfast. She didn't. She it was so complicated to work it out. She had to have a calculator because the menus hadn't been repriced or right, right. anything at that point. So yeah, interesting, really cool. So, um, so then, then you moved on. But did anything linger with you? What did you take away from uh, from your time there? Oh, a, a Christian. Day. Yeah. Well, um, after eleven years. So yeah, I said it wasn't. It was a pretty secular organization. But yeah, we we were just talking about this before. Yeah. Um, I said it wasn't, up, it wasn't a down. very sweary place. Ah, right. And I think I lost my ability to swear. And now now that I don't work places, I work in places where it's kind of all right to swear casually. If I do, I, I'm, I'm a bit like a naughty school child. I'm a bit like my own children swearing where I'm kind of giggling behind my hand when, yeah. when, when, when the F-bomb slips out. See, I can't even say you it. You can't, can't even say it. The F-diddly bomb. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. So. So, so that's, I, I, I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm scarred for life in that way, but, you know, it's not... There are worse scars. I don't think I would mind having a sweary reset. I think I use the f bomb too much. Yeah. Don't well, you know, the swear jar in our house is full, but not not very much of it's mine. <laughs> Do you want to tell me who did fill the jar? Uh, no, no, she'll kill me. That's <laughs> <laughs> the father of two boys. That 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 that's brilliant. Cool. So, so a lot of this is looking out. I, get, I don't know what we're going to call this show, but looking outwards, maybe, or IT beyond Europe and the US. So what I'm really curious to know about, and I want to make sure I get it right, and I feel like out of all of the people I know, you're the most expert. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we call it? So when I was growing up, there was the first world and the third world, mm. and then like the second world, we don't talk about them because they got nukes pointed at us. Yeah. But that was kind of how it how it worked. And when I was a kid, I kind of thought it was like a podium finish at the Olympics. You know, who's who's first, second, and who's come third? So, so help me out here. What? What? <sighs> then, then it's developing world, rapidly developing world. I'd like to be able to say something for shorthand yeah. rather than outside of the EU and USA. So it, it's it's so politically charged. It's really hard to to find the right words for it. And I, I think you know I was quite comfortable with developed world and and less developed world or, or developing world. Mm. Yeah. So it went it went developing world. That was like that replaced third world. Yeah, and then that was a bit too uh, too many values in it, and so it was changed to less developed countries or LDCs. Oh, well, it's always good to slip into acronyms. It is, yeah, because there's nothing political about LDC. 
is a bit obfuscated then. But nobody knows what you're talking about unless they're part of the, you know, in in the gang. Mm. Um, and now I think that um, that even though that those terms have also become a bit a bit a bit difficult to speak. And so you know, some people would probably sort of put that down to sort of political correctness. But I think this also it's quite useful. To uh, you know, to, to talk accurately about things. Yeah. And um, there's a book by uh, by Hans Roslin called Factfulness, which is all about reading um, graphs um, and charts and understanding trends. But really, sort of talks about that around um, around around statistics, around development, around international development, and it it, it does talk about how. Um, the, the sort of the concept that we are in the West are developed, and people that live outside of the West are less developed, is isn't really a very accurate way of talking. No, and 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 also, I mean, the concept of poverty um, is is yeah, you know, it, it's it's kind of complicated, and and there's there's some great stuff in in that book. There's 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 a chart of what it means. You know, if you if you if you double your income from two dollars to four dollars to sixteen dollars and up, and huh. what that what that means for you in terms of your mode of transport, what your bed looks like, what what dinner looks like, um, it, you know, it's 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 a, it's really it's really interesting, mm. um, and just looking at the people that are sort of in the deepest levels of poverty, um, and, and then actually the scale up to where we are. There's so many different steps in the in the middle that you know, you don't know what, what, at what point are people poor in comparison to what what we've got yeah and and and, and where is uh, where, where should we be um, directing our attention it, it, I mean it's, it's a good read I mean it, in some ways it made me question us a bit about about you know, what <clears throat> what the development community is doing. I think it's still safe to okay. talk, talk about international development agencies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, that, that's government policy yeah. too, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'd say I, I, I don't really have any answers. I, th I guess I'm, I'm sort of just, you know, I have enough time to, to, to question some of the things that I that, that maybe I took for granted before, and, and, and I think that's really helpful. So yeah, and I, I, I really valued that book because it made me it made me question things, and that's always good. So, We'll uh, we'll link to factfulness by Hans Rosling on the on the show notes uh, that you'll find on the yeah, site. Yeah, and he, he, I think he's also got the the sort of the highest viewed TED talk ever. Oh, I love that TED yeah. talk. The bubble charts. The bubble charts. Yeah. yeah. So I started using the bubble charts in in in, um, in in explaining various things to do with internet connections, um, and it, yeah, it's really th those getting your head around how to do bubble charts and what they can demonstrate is really. Uh, that's really powerful. So we'll Just we'll change the subject. No, no worries. Hey, we're we're touching yeah. on everything. So yeah. we'll link to that on the show notes and mm -hmm. and the video too, which you'll find on www.ldnpodcast.com. Cool. That's a awesome. Word from our sponsors. And a word from our sponsors <laughs> next. <laughs> right, we're back. Right. <laughs> we don't have any sponsors yet. Uh, so yeah. I, I'm, we've just really talked about the, the fact that it's a complicated thing. So what should we call, should we call it LDCs for now? Or? Um, yeah, we can talk. We can talk about that. I mean, it's yeah. I, okay. I, in anthropology, the first thing that I sort of was taught was around this concept of the other, and I think that's sort of central to 
to a lot Fair of things. Um, but anyway, yeah, I'm sorry. I, 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 I can go into a rabbit hole of talking about politics. <laughs> it might come up again. Who yeah, knows? Right. Be. So, um, so within within the space within the sector that you work in, um, you know, I'm I'm used to private sector money, 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 money. I'm used to Gov. The guest on our previous show is also spending a lot of time in government, talking about cost savings policy, that sort of thing. What are the drivers behind the businesses that you're working on? Yeah, I, I, th- I think they're um, I think they're they're similar to what um, Steve Limmer. Yeah, Steve Limmer. Yeah. What, what what he was saying in in, in the previous podcast around the, uh, the 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 sort of business drivers are are around um, cost savings. Uh, you know, managing managing how much stuff costs, but and and but delivering value to. Um, a set of people that might be different from those that are investing. If you think about it, so so you put so your fundraising. So yeah. so you think of your customers of fundraising, but the fundraisers, you, the, the customers are donating money. Yeah. To you, but they don't actually get any return on their investment. But the they get some other the investment return. goes to other people. Do your fundra- Presumably, though, you have to. I get that. Presumably, you have to look after your fundraisers in some way. So to show, demonstrate that their money is being well spent. Your donors, yeah. Um, Sorry, but donors, yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. Oh, I mean, that's 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 a that's a big area in in in, in charities, um, and it's probably the greatest tension in in a lot of charities is is how that's changed in the last you know twenty years. Uh-huh. So twenty years ago, most charities in the UK would have been getting the bulk of their money from individual donors that might you know so Christian Aid had its uh, had it had its Christian Aid week yeah. where the envelopes would come through your door yeah. and you know people would put you know 50p in the envelope and, and you used to go collecting collect for this it. right yeah oh, I didn't do that didn't you? I thought you went to stations and things and rattled oh, the bucket yeah I've done that yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, why not why not? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think it was important. Um, but so, so that was sort of the traditional way that that, that, that charities raised money, um, and then gradually you had in, in increase in government starting to to and, and big institutional donors starting to put money in, uh, in and larger amounts of money. So you know, Department for International Development, mm-hmm. USAID, uh, the European Union, you know, big institutional donors that would donate. You know, hundreds of thousands of pounds at a time have got a bit more power than, you know, Mrs. Dobbins with her with her fifty p in an envelope. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, so looking after, you have to look after all of them, um, but you really have to look after the the, the big donors because and and the big donors are giving large amounts of money um, that usually has, uh, you know, it, it's it's earmarked for something very specific. Right. Uh, presumably based on a grant system or you have to apply for yeah yeah yeah, it does it does work it does work a bit like that um and 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 the outcome of of that is that 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 money is often very uh it's what we call restricted funding okay um and it usually doesn't include very much money for for sort of fundamental things like internet connections or, or rent for buildings um you know, sort of administrative staff, etc. You know, it's, it's much. You know, there's 
sort of limit this has a sort of downward pressure on on how much can be spent on things that actually do need to be do need to be spent on okay so back to the utilities then keeping the lights on because that's the stuff that clearly needs to be spent have money spent on as well what what does that look like in a rural context so yeah so in I mean, I think you see similar challenges in in rural parts of of, of the UK, where there isn't uh, there aren't cables in the ground, and putting cables in the ground isn't isn't financially viable, where there aren't many people to to to, to buy the service. So, so a common a common way of getting over this um, that's been used by a lot of uh, a, a lot of of, of non governmental organisations is, is, is satellite internet. Oh right, okay. So so um, using radio to bounce internet signals um, or, or, or network signals off of off of a satellite in geostationary orbit um, back down to another part of Earth. So yeah, satellite dishes. That's incredible. And I use the internet for looking at pictures of cats. Well, and yes, and and you would you know using this technology, you would be able to look at the pictures of cats pretty much anywhere in the world, but in space, <laughs> via space, <laughs> via, via space. space, it's incredible. Those cat pictures would be bouncing off of the satellite that's sort of twenty six thousand kilometers away. Cats in space, you heard it here first. Yeah. So, um, so I'm used to thinking of satellite dishes. You see them on chimneys, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think. I saw a picture of you once that blew my mind a bit, which was the satellite dishes in the UK, they seem to be pointing towards the horizon, right? But the ones that you were standing in front of pointed straight up. Why is that? Well, so, yeah, so I, I think the ones that, that I was standing next to were, 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 the dishes were quite close to the equator and the geostationary satellite is orbiting above the equator. So the closer you get to the equator, the more straight up you're pointing the satellite in order to, to, to bounce the signal off of it. Incredible. And um, so hugely practically useful because you don't need to cable an area. But what are the downsides? Oh, so well, so the downsides are that uh, well, it's a limited resource. So, you know, satellites up in space have only got a finite amount of energy that they can use to, to send the signal down. Um, so that, that results in the, the bandwidth and it is you know, actual bandwidth in terms of radio spectrum uh, being quite expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because you're sending the signal um, that far, um, it, it only travels at the speed of light only. Um, and so that, that, that adds uh, latency yeah. onto, the, onto the internet connection. So um, maybe getting a bit too technical here, I don't know. Um, so you might find here if you were if you were pinging Google or something that you would get a response back in you know ten ten milliseconds uh, if you're doing the same thing uh, at the end of a internet uh, at the end of a satellite connection it, it's going to be at least five hundred milliseconds so half a second and that's noticeable um, and it really does have a massive impact on uh, anything particularly like voice voice communication. You know, try to yeah. use Skype over satellite link. Uh, it can be quite uh, quite an awkward uh, awkward process. Okay, so definitely no quake or doom. 
No, I think I don't. I don't. The, the gamers would would hate the uh, would hate that they they're stuck to playing Chucky Egg. <laughs> and now we've come full circle. <laughs> so that's grand. So um, so with those limitations in that context, what what are the what are the trends that you see in 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 this domain, in this business domain, uh, trying to use the technologies that your environment allows you to use? What what are the trends that you see? So I'd imagine that traditionally client server would be where things would stay rather than going cloud or always on, on online, always switched on or SaaS, you know. Those things need lots and lots of bandwidth, presumably. This is this is true, but I, I think the economics of the cloud and, and software as a service and the challenge of developing applications um, are... are, are are the same are the same for an international NGO working in these difficult locations. So that those are the same pressures that that, that any enterprise really um, finds, and and the, that sector's getting pushed towards the same things. Um, and so, it, it it probably is an easier uh, problem to solve of getting the connectivity into those locations than than. Developing things specially to work around the the, the challenges. Huh. Developing a software so that it works around the challenges. So it's actually more economical to move things onto the cloud, do software as a service, um, and while simultaneously wiring up. I mean, that's. I mean, it's hard to say whether that's economical, but I do feel quite strongly that uh, an international development organization some that has the aims of, of eradicating poverty probably shouldn't spend too much of its time developing its own uh, accounting system <laughs> or, uh, or, or or holiday booking system no um, when it, it can it, it can buy those things in um, and 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 the best systems these days are being developed for the cloud so you know and 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 they aren't aren't that expensive to run um, but yeah so the money that, that that maybe you some of the money that you save by 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 taking that approach should be should be spent on, on getting more reliable and better performing internet connections and that's that's kind of where I focus my attention in my work now is how how do, how do we how do we um, how do we make the, that, that argument better and how do we deliver the internet connections into these difficult places um, in in a consistent way that meets meets the requirements of, of, of the modern enterprise. And I guess that has a knock-on benefit of if you're able to get better connections out to places, that has it has a similar effect to building a road or a railway. Does it does it have knock-on benefits to other businesses and other economic activity in those areas? I think it does. So working at um, Working in NetHope, one of the projects that I was involved with um, was in Uganda with what we called the demand aggregation, where we we looked at a, a part of northern Uganda where there was a lot of um, international NGOs working. Um, all those international NGOs had a uh, requirement for internet connectivity to access various systems that they use and for communications. Um, but each one was just buying it as it needed it. Um, and what we did was 
we, we, we aggregated what we call de demand aggregation. We, 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 we measured how much everybody needed, how much was the market worth. Mm. And then we took that to, to, um, to local mobile network operators and said, look, the services that, 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 that we need for, for, for our part of, you know, for, for the work that we do aren't available here. But we, we could spend up to this much money if, if only you invested. And so that resulted in, in the investment being made by, by Airtel in northern Uganda. And, and, and yes, that meant that local businesses, um, individuals, etc., had access to better internet. That's a fantastic. Than, than they did before. Fantastic outcome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a concept of anchor tenancy. Um, so the idea of an anchor tenant that, that makes it worthwhile, uh, make, you know, you have a customer that makes it worth you putting this investment in, that, that results in you have, being able to have more, more customers as a result of that investment. Brilliant. That's really awesome. Cool. So, I mean, in a lot of our software these days, we take a lot for granted, like continuously improving a service. We were talking about how there are other organizations out there that probably build better holiday booking or expense forms or whatever than a charity is supposed to. You're not yeah, in that I mean, business. So, you know, I, I mean, you know, boil things down. So Office 365, Microsoft Office 365, why would a company need to, to, to spend lots of its time and energy building an email infrastructure? Yeah. You know, we did that for a long time. I think lots of companies did that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, like there's recognised ways of doing it, so you can follow a blueprint, but maybe it's even better for somebody to do it really well um, and, and get economies of scale, and then just sell it to you as a, you know, a utility service, a utility or a commodity. Yeah. And, and and it seems that a lot of stuff that gets built these days always moves to towards that commodity utility space. Yeah, so I, I think you know that that was probably the first cloud thing that most international NGOs went for was, was, was Office 365, partly because Microsoft gave it away for free to um, pretty much any non-profit in the world. Um, as part of the Bill Gates thing, or, or just I, general well, I think, corporate I think, responsibility? I think that was, that, 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 that was more recent than Bill Gates. I think it was just an initiative by Microsoft that, that, that they wanted to do something that has positive social impact, um, and, and this was one of the ways they saw of doing it. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I'm not. I don't want to get too. I don't want to be cynical about that at all. It was. It was a pretty amazing thing that Microsoft did. It, it is amazing. One other thing that that's massively important these days, certainly in government delivery, is around user testing. So making sure that what it is that you build is usable, sustainable, accessible to users. And you know, we work. So, for example, one of our clients. Um, has its products in uh, car garages. Yeah. So an iPad isn't maybe the right solution there when you've got greasy hands or um, it's a little, what if a wrench drops on it or whatever. So, you know, some consideration has to be made for the process and the administration of the work. Presumably, if in organizations, well, I don't know how many geographies NetHope spans, but you mentioned Christian Aid across 30 different countries. Oh yeah, I mean, NetHope members are operating in you know, hundreds of countries around the world. Right, so, so you, you're going to have yeah. very, very different user needs, presumably. Do you, do you guys get an opportunity to test what you do out there? 
Well, so I, I guess this is one of the downside of going with the software as a service and, mm. and, and centralized you know, bu- buying in things compared to you know, sort of the old way of doing things where you might have been doing things um, you know, in-house is that th- that testing tends to happen um, for, for where the market is the most valuable. Um, so yeah, so 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 that is one of the challenges around using things like satellite connectivity is that the, you know the companies like like Salesforce and Microsoft etc. Their test target is not high latency for yeah. that connection. Um, so there are definitely some challenges around around that that perhaps we would would have done better in in house. Um, but it's whether or not it made, makes economic sense for it to be that much better. Yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think I think one of the one of the sort of the values that organisations like NetHope has is, is 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 making that argument to the industry that is developing this stuff and and, and trying to convince them to um, you know have, have, think more widely about where where their services are being consumed and where they're going to be consumed in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, m- most market most market growth is likely to happen in in the uh, in, in parts of the world where people don't currently buy stuff. Yeah. Well, that's parts of the world where people are potential customers. So yeah, they need to need to address uh, address that, and that 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 would be very helpful for for, for organisations that are already working out there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, fab. Thank you. So we we've, we've covered. Um, the journey, <laughs> the journey. Yeah, um, some of the differences and challenges and trends are around the sector that you're in. Um, are there any particular digital leaders you look up to? So, uh, yeah. So, in, in within the sector, um, I, I've I've been lucky to work with some really inspiring people, um, and. Like I, th- I think I think I, t- I probably took greatest inspiration from from the team that I was working with at Christian Aid and that were that were based in different countries around the world, um, and then actually just seeing like how, you know some of them that are sort of taking leading roles in in, in jobs that have taken since. So yeah, I'd like to sort of call out Martin, um, who's now Oxfam. Uh, and Caroline and Jaguna, who's now at Path, both in Nairobi. Ah. Um, you know, they 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 really sort of took took charge of um, of the. You know, they they really sort of got a good a good grasp of the challenges and and, and managed to fix quite a lot of things where they were working, and now they're doing that for you know, other organisations. And, and and I I think also acting as 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 inspiration for people in their own countries. Um, you know that actually you can become a digital leader in in, in these you know fantastic. It's not all done here. Um, I'd, I'd I'd say they're pro- you know th- those are two great examples of not not people that maybe very easy to read about, um, but uh, yeah, really really there's there's some there's some really bright people out there. Yeah yeah yeah. It's a big world. Um, and so what what what's impressed you recently the most? Um, so yeah, some things that, that that I found really interesting. So yeah, a drones is not something that I really delve into very much in my work. But I, 
like a lot of people, I was quite fascinated by what happened at Gatwick over Christmas with <laughs> right. the whole place getting shut down. Yeah. Um, and also, I, I recently saw a webcast um, by, by Panama Flying Labs, um, which is an organisation in, in, in Panama that uses um, drones in, in, in development. Um, and as part of the network called We Robotics, that's setting up sort of drone training schools, um, you know, it, it, around the world. Uh, it's really, really interesting. And yeah, I, I, I hadn't really thought about drones being being robots. You know, mm, I was thinking, right. I was thinking of drones as as remote controlled airplanes, which is not that exciting, really. But they're autonomous. They actually make decisions. There's artificial intelligence on the drone, right, deciding yeah, where it flies. And and the media also fell into this trap with Gatwick and was talking about jamming signals. And it's like, but they can't jam a GPS signal around an airport. And this is what the drones are using to get around. Right, they've right, got a pre-programmed right, right. path that they follow. Yeah, exactly. And, then, and they respond to changes in. Of wind and, and that such. So yeah, really, I think really I uh, think that interesting cool. bit yeah. of technology. I really like to find um, find out more and get a bit more involved in that because I think you know it has 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 a lot to teach us. Um, I, I was also really quite excited about the the low Earth orbit satellite. So going back to sort of where where I work, there's there's plans um, to launch. Literally thousands of, of small satellites into into low Earth orbit. So these aren't satellites that are geostationary above the equator, but these are satellites that go round the Earth all the time. Um, and these would provide internet connectivity globally um, at very low latency at, at the kind of speeds and quality that we we take, do take for granted here, uh, but potentially anywhere in the world. Um, and that, that's going to transform things. Is that is that because it's low Earth and therefore the transit time that's between? That's right. The, yeah, yeah. yeah they're, they're, you know, they're, these these are things. I, I I don't know the exact distance that they are um, orbiting the Earth, but it's it's it, it's low enough so that you're looking at sort of thirty five milliseconds of latency. So you know, oh, that's, that's good. That's that's, that's gamer that's level. That is. It is. It's gamer level. Yep. Yep. You can you can get onto Quake or Fortnite. <laughs> And that's what it's all about, ultimately. Yeah, that, that's that's probably um, <laughs> yeah, that's probably what we're aiming for, isn't it? Like a marker of a marker of development and changes, whether the kids can play uh, Fortnite or Grand Theft Auto. Online, <laughs> well, anywhere in the world, if they if they manage to to implement that and have uh, children in I don't know in London fragging uh kids in nairobi or or i don't know the foothills of Killy, um then that would be really great but then they'll probably swear at each other anyway and call each other horrible names well so that's going what full online. circle again i did that was kind of part of my plan with the internet cafe in tanzania so yeah, it may yet, it may yet come true yeah amazing brilliant thanks so hey thanks so much for coming into the studio no, thanks for um, me. what if people want to find out more about you or what it is you do where would you point them towards uh, so the the NetHope has a, a website called the Solution Center that that catalogues a lot of different work that's being done by um, by NetHope members and, and other humanitarian actors um, using technology. That that has got a lot of stuff that um, that, that that listeners might be interested in. Um, and there's also the uh, ICT for D 
conference website has a lot of content about um, you know, innovative ways of using technology and development. Cool. That's awesome. We'll put those in the show notes too. Great. Well, well, I guess that's a wrap. So thanks so much for coming in and, um, and thanks for doing what you're doing. Have a great one. Cheers. Cheers.